The following is a breakout session from the 2014 Acts 29 conference in Dallas. Given the interactive nature of breakouts and Q&A, there may be extended periods of silence. Father, we're grateful for this time to gather with brothers and sisters, to process, to wrestle, to learn. Lord, we're grateful that we can turn to someone we've never met and have a sense of camaraderie and brotherhood and sisterhood with them that we don't even share with people we've known for years who aren't in Christ. We have a common bond in that we've experienced the grace of Jesus in our life, and we get have the common knowledge of knowing we're going to get to share eternity with that brother or sister, worshiping and praising Jesus in his felt real presence forever. What a great bond you've given us, Father. And we just want to acknowledge that this morning and say thank you for that. Lord, we lift up our families at home who are, who are um, keeping um, the hatches buckled down, who are watching the front lines and, and, and keeping the home fires stirred. Would you just be with them, Lord? Protect them for aunts and uncles or grandparents or friends taking care of our kids or for wives who are home loving our children. Uh, Lord, would you just be with them? Let them know they are loved, they are appreciated, that the work they are doing is just as important as the work we're doing here. We're a team. Um, we're, we're working toward the same things. Lord, would, there, would your felt presence be with them today and, and comfort them, protect them, keep them safe? Assure us that they're safe. Assure us that you are there with them doing a better job of protecting them than we could if we were there so we can be free to be fully here, listening, learning, processing, so that when we go back there, we'll lead better. We'll lead with more integrity and, and, and more character and more tools and resources because of our time here. So thanks so we can release that to you, Lord, and give that to you fully knowing that you hear our prayers, you desire to answer them, and you, and you will um, in your Um, good time through your great power for your great name. We love you now. Be with us and help us to think well in Jesus' name. For his sake we pray. Amen. I'll give you, you can have a seat. And again, as I said, I think this is probably one of the most important sessions of the week because Jesus talked about money more than any other topic. And oftentimes it's the most neglected topic in our churches. And uh, I I came to realize this about a year ago when we started talking about money more in my church. And I said, I need to be more Jesus-like, which means I need to talk about money more. And they chuckled and then strapped on and and we dove in. And so um, I'm I'm excited for us to learn from both Chris and Brian Howard later. And so would you invite me in welcoming uh, Chris Beaton to share with us this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Your church will not grow past the 200 barrier in a healthy way unless you're a wise steward of the resources God has already entrusted to you. Now, that's not a very controversial statement, right? So I think we probably all agree, most of us, hopefully in theory with that. And yet some of you I know because I've talked to you uh, are making your ministry decisions based on the account balance on your last bank statement at the church. And uh, I know some of you are are doing uh, very well with budgets. We're going to talk about budgets today. It's one key component of wise stewardship. Um, You won't have, uh, you may not have much money to spend uh, later if you're not wise with it now. So uh, it's a very important topic. The next decision you make financially could be the best decision you make for your church at your size right now. But without an educated expectation of income and a good understanding of your expenses and an adequate amount of savings, it may end up being the worst decision you make for your church right now. Now, maybe you're here and you're the lead pastor. You, you, don't, you don't do the numbers at your church. You have somebody back there. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're thinking about 
uh, who that, that person may be. Hopefully you have a volunteer helping at least. And I want to challenge you to think at the size you're at now that potentially the next hire you need to make needs to be an executive. And what I mean by executive is any, anybody from an executive assistant to an executive pastor or somewhere in between. And they can start with a stipend. They can start part-time. Basically, somebody that has the kingly gift that thinks in ways that are different than you that complement your strengths. Somebody that can help you build systems, manage facilities, manage people databases, small groups, manage your finances, and help you build systems to grow your church in a healthy way so that more people can meet Jesus. Sometimes you fall into the trap of thinking, well, the next hire needs to be a worship leader, um, kids director, a youth pastor, and all those things are good things, but before you break 200, uh, those can be filled by uh, competent volunteers, just the same as, as a paid staff at this point. Later, they'll need to be paid. So let me just challenge you to think about your next hire being an executive. So we're going to dive into budgets today, and uh, I know it doesn't sound exciting, um, but I'll try to make it as entertaining as possible. I only have an hour with you. I would love to uh, do this for a day or a weekend. Uh, we'd have handouts, uh, spreadsheets. We'd get your budget knocked out uh, before you went home. Um, but instead, we're going to uh, fly through this, and hopefully I just want to give you some handles, just some key words. Hopefully you take good notes that you can go back and go, okay, that challenged me, that made me think, and then you'll, uh, you'll engage when you get back home. So uh, four things I want to get through uh, this morning. Income projections, expenses, compensation, now I got your attention, how much should you all be paid, and savings. So let's dive into income. Um, how do you project that income? I know it, it can seem presumptuous. Um, do, we, do we bank on growth? Do we, are, are, we, are we expecting the church to grow? Um, let me just start off by saying God does grow the church. It's not you. I don't have a formula that allows you to remove God from the equation, and, and, and you just go over and do your algebraic you know, calculation and, and figure out what income is going to be. Every week when you count the money, you should be just worshiping Jesus because it, it came in. Um, not because you had a formula that got, got it nailed down and you thought, got it. No, God brought that in. So, um, so sorry, I don't have that formula for you. But, um, so how do you project income? I think you need to look at your past, your present, and your future. Um, I'm going to start on the past. It's, it's, it's the foundation. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's real numbers. It's hard facts. It's what actually happened at your church. It's what your people gave under your leadership in your city in your context, so that's a great place to start. Um, and as you're building a budget, say in December, you've got, you've got very, very current um, data to work with, um, to start with. So, um, so we look at historic data. Now, um, it, you can fall into a trap if you're not thinking uh, uh, correctly on this. You may fall into the trap of thinking, uh, okay, my attendance grew by uh, 20% last year, so our income will probably grow by 20% next year. That's a, you don't want to go there. Uh, I don't know if you've paid much attention to the numbers in the church where, uh, where you're serving, um, but often there's a slinky effect. Uh, people's wallets will show up six to nine months after they walked in the door. Um, so you're going to have some years where your, your attendance spikes and your, your income doesn't, doesn't keep up. And then the next year, income or uh, attendance not so well, income catches up. So it's a, it's a constant slinky effect. So don't Fall into the trap of thinking that your income will grow 20% because your attendance did. Um, 
And then another trap we fall into is, uh, well, we have X amount of people at our church, and our, bud, or our income grew $50,000 last year, and now we're starting a new year. We have more people now than we did when we accomplished that last year, so why wouldn't we gain another 50000 We did last year, now we have more people. And that can also be a trap that you fall into. So I've got a very simple, um, a, a simple equation to do here. Um, it's going to be very underwhelming, but it, it, it helped me um, uh, to, to stay uh, out of the ditches, if you will. It's kind of a guardrail. Um, and uh, let's, let's pull it up there. Um, so let's use this as an example. Uh, let's just say in 2010 that uh, 5,000 people walk through your doors uh, during the year, and uh, you divide that by 52 because that's 52 weeks in a year, and so you had an average weekly attendance of 96. In that same year, you had $150,000 come in in income, so you have an average per attendee per year of 1,560. That's an important number. Um, your context will be different. Maybe you're in a college town, very transient. Maybe that's $700 per person. Whatever it is for you, you need to know what it is for you. This is just an example here. So let's go to the next year, and uh, 6,500 people came through that year, so you had an average weekly attendance of 125. So you grew by 30%. That's excellent. Same year. You grew by 20% in income, which was 13%. So now you're at 1360 per attendee per year. The number I want to focus on now is that average. What we're doing is we're dividing that total income into that average weekly attendance to give you some data points. So if you've, the more years you have, the more data points you're going to have, you're going to start to figure out what are my highs, what are my lows. So that when you're building the next year's budget, you want to be going off of this number um, so that you, you, you avoid a mistake. So let's go to the next year. And again, with just one more year of data, you've grown a little bit, 139 people, so you, your 12% uh, income grew by 50,000. You're at 1578. Well, this is helpful. I think this is really helpful to, to see. You've got sort of a, a, a pattern developing here. So let's say you're gonna build the budget for 2013, and let's just throw a mistake up there. And, well, not a mistake, but you're playing with the spreadsheet. And you're thinking, okay, what's going to come up next? And waiting for that slide, Carrie. There we go. Thank you, sir. Um, 8,400. So let's say you're projecting. You're like, I think 162 people is what we're going to average next year. By the way, it's always easier. It takes some, of the, takes some of the fear factor out of it to not be trying to anticipate or guess what your budget's going to be uh, for income. It's, it's a lot easier to anticipate or, or um, assume uh, what, what uh, your attendance would be. So you start there, you say, okay, let's just assume 162 people is what we're going to average next year. And hey, we had 50,000 extra come in last year, let's do that again, why not? We have more people. And you see we come up with an average of 1671. So that number right there, if you were to look at that, you would say, well, that means I'd be expecting more money per person than what's ever come into our church. And had you not divided that into it, you may have missed that. You may have made a mistake and just assumed that your church is growing. It's already bigger. You're starting the year at a higher attendance than what you averaged last year. Why not, why not see that much more income? So I love it when you, when you have a record year, but I'd rather, I'd rather uh, achieve a record year than to budget a record year. It's really hard uh, to get buy-in. Um, from people in your church, your financial committee, your elders, if you're showing that you're projecting that you're gonna get more per person than you've ever gotten before. So that's just, a, like I said, it's pretty un underwhelming, but use that, um, and that'll help you with your past. Um, your present, this is really important. What's the vibe of your church? What's the, uh, 
What's the facility capacity where you're at? Is there any reason why you wouldn't be able to uh, achieve the same growth you did last year after you've, after you've done the calculations? So this is more subjective. You just want to be thinking, okay, so why wouldn't that happen? So are you, uh, are you nearing capacity uh, at your facility? What's the stability of your church look like? Uh, is your church new? If you're in the second or third year of your church, um, you're, you may find in your first or second year that your income grows by 100%. It's, that's fairly common. So factor that in. Don't, don't try to budget for 100% growth next year. Um, was there any uh, church closures in your town? They were, they were theologically aligned with you, so half their people came and joined your church. Probably not going to happen again. Don't factor on that growth. So just be thinking of the anomalies um, and, uh, and make sure that you've got that factored in. So another thing to think about, you can't change it, but um, if, if, if 10% of your givers are providing more than 50% of your income, um, you just need to know that. So uh, check that when you get home. Uh, you, can't, you can't do anything about it. You're not going to ask those givers to give less so that the rest of it is spread out. And you can't necessarily get everybody else to start giving more to balance that out either. It's just good to know that if one or two of my key givers leave, um, half of the income I've budgeted may not come in. So factor that in as well. Um, and again, just like you've heard with uh, um, investing, uh, the investing quote, you've seen it online probably that past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Um, that's very, very true in the church world as well. So factor that in. Um, okay, and then after you've got that, and I, I highly suggest you do that, all that work, you, 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 get, you get your budget where you think it needs to be, and then you need to get outside counsel. And I recommend you get outside counsel from two sources uh, for, for very different reasons. One, I think you need outside counsel from business people that go to your church. So you've got buy-in inside your church from people who run, run a coffee shop, they own a business, they manage a bunch of people, they're used to numbers, they're used to staff. Um, so they may not know anything about your business of church, and, and the numbers uh, you know, may not make sense to them from that perspective, but uh, they're going to be your sharpest people. They're going to understand if you explain your logic to them that you're going to get buy-in from them that way. The other counsel I think you should get is from an executive pastor outside your church, people that have ministry experience, people that do this for a living, and they get it from out, you get that from outside your church, so that provides another um, uh, form of counsel. Um, so inside and outside um, is the way to do that. So then we've got uh, dividing your income. So uh, don't make the mistake of, of projecting your income and then dividing by 12, because there's 12 months in a year, and expect that your money's gonna come in exactly even over time. For Grace City Church, our giving is pretty steady from January through June, dips a little in July and August, spikes back up in September, carries pretty strong through the fall, and then December's our, our best month. So if you don't know that, like I didn't when I was hired, I was hired in the month of June back in 2011, and I opened up the books and want to get my head into it and figure it out. I thought, okay, we're 50% of the way through the year here, so let me look at our giving, compare it to what our budget is for this year, and I thought, uh-oh we've only got 42% of our income, and we're 50% through the year. We're in trouble. So I started doing some, data, uh, some, some checking some historical data and found that every single year of our church, we'd been right around 42% at the halfway mark in the year. So that was important for me to know. It's important for you to know when to expect that income. It's also going to help you with your cash flow projections. So you're going to have months where uh, your giving is going to be lower, but your expenses aren't any lower. You still gotta pay the rent, you still gotta pay salaries. 
So you may have some months coming up, five, six months from now, where your expenses are gonna stay the same and your income's gonna drop below. That's important to know, and we'll get into, into savings in a minute. Um, but by projecting your income uh, appropriately by month, that's gonna help you with cash flow. It's also gonna help you with benchmarks, which I'll get into here in a minute. Okay, so then the other thing we, we do is we provide a weekly snapshot. Um, and and the, the reason why this, I'm gonna get into reports later, but this, this report is really important. I show this to our leadership team every single week uh, when the giving comes in. Um, it's, it's, think of it this way, it's, it's a lot easier to, to be nimble and to make small adjustments um, than it is to get six months down the road and then have to make a huge philosophical change or fire somebody. You don't you wanna get in there, into that, in that business. So uh, this is what I provide, and this is just an example. So uh, I just let the, let the staff know, here's what our giving was this week uh, uh, compared to what we budgeted. Uh, here's what our giving is year to date compared to what was budgeted. So you've got your over and under for, for the week and for the year. Uh, percentage of the budget that came in uh, versus what was expected, uh, how far through the year you are percentage-wise, what the giving was last year, and how much of last year's budget we had, had acquired by this point in the year, and then how much we've grown from last year to this year. So you can see by looking at that that in this scenario here, uh, income was up 26%. And then I also provide the attendance snapshot, um, which is uh, just a breakdown of, of where the kids were and, and what services, and then over in the top left, uh, what the total was this week compared to this week last year. Bottom left is the most helpful box, what's our last six week average, uh, and then compare that to the same time span of the year before. So how many more people uh, do we have coming in the door year to date, 20% growth. So this is really, I've developed, the, this is a spreadsheet, and I've, I've got all these, uh, uh, miles of formulas on the backside that nobody sees, they all populate to this front screen so that this is all they see. And so it updates every week by just plugging in a couple numbers. It literally takes me five minutes. I shouldn't have said that, Josh. This takes me a long time. I spend most of my time on it. No. <laughs> it takes me five minutes to hit a couple numbers um, and it populates. So this can be an extremely helpful tool and I'd be glad to send that to you. You could use it as a template um, for your church. So I just flew through income. We're going to get into expenses, compensation, and savings, uh, and, and financial controls if we, if we have time. But for right now, I just want, with your team, if you're here alone, uh, take notes. But this is literally a 60-second break, 60 seconds, so don't go anywhere. But with the people that you're at, what did you hear that you liked? What do you not agree with? What do you want to change? What do you want to con consider adding when you get back? Who do you need to talk to when you get back to see about getting some, um, some things in place? Um, and then text your questions to this number, and then this, this is available too for, for people that are uh, joining us online right now with the live stream. Uh, text these questions, I'm gonna try to get to them, and you can text them from now through the break, and then when, I, when Brian Howard joins me up here for uh, our next session, which will be donor cultivation, I'll try to get to as many of those questions as possible. So take 60 seconds, there should be a light murmur, I'm gonna bring it right back for expenses.
Okay. All right, let's jump back in. Um, expenses. Uh, something really important with expenses when you're, when you're budgeting or, or coming up with your expense budget is to not plan on spending the same amount of money that you plan on getting. So once you've established an income budget, make sure that when you establish your expense budget, it's not the same amount. You wanna be, you wanna be under that. And, and the difference there is gonna be your savings. And so when we get to savings, you'll see how much of a buffer you should leave between your income and expenses. So expenses uh, should not be equal to income. There should be four main categories in your expenses. Uh, you may have 20 to 25 budget line items in a church your size. All of them should roll up into one of these four main categories. And the purpose of that is just to see where you're at. Um, and so from year after year, you can, you can make sure that your money is being spent um, in the right general uh, category. So the first one is staff. Um, and uh, the second one is facility. And then you've got operations, which would be all of your uh, ministry and whatnot, and then giving. So uh, those are your four main categories. And in staff, you want about 60%, um, no more than 60%. And this is going to fluctuate. There may be um, uh, early on, you may be, you, it might be just one guy's salary and everything else is pretty cheap. And so maybe it's, it's more like 70%. But over time, that needs to be right around 60. I don't think we've ever been higher than 55. Um, so it needs to be right around there. And by the way, the less you spend in, in one category or two categories, the more you can spend somewhere else uh, to help grow your church. So I'll tell you how we've done that. Um, and and this, this uh, staff uh, is, is salaries. It's compensation uh, completely. So it's, it's benefits. Uh, and whatnot. Um, facilities should be no more than 20%. And most people aren't going to spend 20% on facilities unless you have a mortgage, um, a large building. Uh, we spent the first, I don't know, three, four, five years, right around 5%. Uh, our rent was really cheap. Um, but as we've, as we've grown and we have more expensive uh, places in our office, I think we're up to around 12% now. So 20 is just not what you, you just don't want to go over 20 in general terms. Um, now, for the years where our, our, our staff and, and our um, facilities numbers was a little bit lower, it allowed us to spend up to 20% in operations and ministry, and that went towards things that, that were to, to grow the church, preaching campaigns, um, outreach events, things that are going to attract non-believers, and uh, we've, see, we've seen a lot of baptisms. So while you can, um, go ahead and spend the money in other categories uh, if you're not um, up to, up to a, a point in one of the other categories. Um, so operations is 10%, and again, like I said, you could be up to 20 if you, if you can spare it in the other two, and then giving uh, would be 10%. Um, so now savings, uh, like I said, this, the, di the distance between your income uh, budget and your expense budget, um, you want that buffer in case, for example, uh, you don't get everything that you projected. Um, you don't have to make a drastic change. But that, that difference there is going to be your savings. And um, savings uh, should be there for three reasons. Well, first, let me tell you about how much savings you should have. Roughly 30 to 90 days. Um, and, and if you want to get that more dialed in, I'd say 45 to 70 days. 30 doesn't seem like enough sometimes, and 90 seems like too much. And what that is is whatever your uh, income budget is for that year, so you're gonna, it's going to change every year, you want to figure out what's, what, so let's just say your budget's 300000 Divide that by 365. That tells you how much money you're expecting every day over the course of the year. So your burn rate, 
I know it sounds like a horrible work, so you're not burning up your money, but your burn rate is, uh, is that's that daily rate. So whatever 30 days of that, of your, of your income budget, is at a minimum how much you should have in your savings account. Um, and that's going to provide for three things. Uh, the first is liquidity. Like I mentioned before, there's going to be uh, months where your income is down but your expenses are up. Um, you're not going to close the doors of the church, right? So you want, you want to have some income. You want to have a buffer there in your, in your checking account um, to help uh, that cash flow. Um, you want to make, uh, make sure you're paying your short-term uh, commitments uh, during that time when income is not as high as your expenses. So liquidity is one. And the other is uh, opportunities and emergencies. And uh, I would like to limit... Uh, opportunities to being like staff and facilities. Those are two big categories um, that, that you should be saving up for. Uh, if somebody comes along that you really, really would like to hire um, and you don't have it in the budget uh, for that year and you don't have any savings, you're not going to be able to, uh, to, to seize that opportunity. Um, and same with facilities. If, if a building becomes available and that's exactly what you needed but you didn't have it in the budget and you didn't have savings, you can't move on it. So you should have savings for, for opportunities and emergencies. Emergencies can also be staffing and facilities, those two things. You may lose somebody and the replacement value is, is, is higher than what you're paying them. Um, and same with facilities. You may get kicked out and have to pay higher rent somewhere else. So emergencies can be um, staff and facilities. The other thing that emergency can be is just an income shortfall. Um, so you want to make sure that you've got uh, savings in place. So, Okay, so benchmarks. Um, after you've built your budget, I've got a really easy way for you to build two more budgets, and it only takes you a few minutes. Um, and this is it, the reason. The reason for a benchmark is if let's let's uh, let's well, let's go with a, f a feast and famine uh, budget. Let's call it that. So your the budget you've created is your baseline budget. You also want to create a feast and a famine budget. So let's start with famine just as an example. Money's not coming in, things are happening, maybe people are leaving the church, hope that doesn't happen. Um, but you can't keep spending at the rate that you're spending or you're gonna go bankrupt. So things have to get removed from your expense budget uh, in the future. So decide early on, decide during the budgeting process what that should be. So uh, basically you're asking yourself the question, if we don't get enough money coming in, what's on the chopping block? So make a list of what's on the chopping block. Three things about benchmarks. What, what's the item that you're willing to cut uh, when's the date that you need to know by? Uh, and how much money do you need to be short before you'll make that decision? So if you can get your elders to agree, and let, me, let me just use an example because it's later in the year. Let's say a Christmas party. So you want to have a Christmas party. It's in December. What, so now you know what you would cut if you don't have enough money. Um, when do you need to know by? When, when's the last, is it November 15th? When would you have to pull the plug on the planning for that Christmas party? And how short do you need to be in your budget before you're willing to cut it? Um, you're, you're weighing out, you know, is this worth it? What do we want? So, um, so maybe you're going to say, you know what, if we're 20000 you know, below uh, where we should be uh, on November 15th, we're not going to do the, the, the Christmas party or whatever. So that's how you would set benchmarks. And I'd recommend you set about five or so um, and then just stagger them throughout the year. If we don't have this much by March 1st, here's what goes. If we don't have this much by June 1st, here's what goes and kind of stagger those throughout the year. And so it's kind of a working document that you're going through the year. Um, by the way, budgets, you know, should not be necessarily black and white. Uh, you can set them up black and white, but I think you're going to operate in the gray um, throughout the year. So you want to you be able to be flexible and make decisions. And then do the same thing for a feast budget. Um, cast that vision out to your people as part of donor cultivation. 
um, cast a compelling vision and tell them they can't outgive the vision and, and let them know, like, you know what, if we have... Uh, if we have extra income come in by this, by this date or if we have this much more come in, here's what we get to do. We're gonna send the youth group on a mission trip or whatever that vision is. Set two, three, four, five of those throughout the year and set benchmarks. So you've got benchmarks going both ways. I just think that's wise. So that's what I would recommend. Okay, uh, let's, um, let's dive into compensation. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna skip our, our little break here and go right into it. Um, with compensation, I, I, I've heard this question uh, a lot. The biggest one is, uh, how much should the lead guy get paid? Um, and and uh, how much distance should there be between the lead guy and the next guy and, and, and so on? Um, it can be very subjective, and I think that uh, you, I, I may, I'm going to give you about eight or nine objective um, um, measuring tools, if you will, um, for, for establishing um, compensation. But you may end up just defaulting to a subjective one, and that's fine. And it may be the, the most common one, which is, well, how much do you need to get paid? And then you just pay them what, what they need, because how else are, how else are you going to retain them? So you may end up defaulting that, to that, but I'm going to go ahead and give you some subjective and objective uh, uh, formulas or, or, or facts to look at here. So um, uh, consider his replacement value. And I mean that in two ways. So... Uh, uh, if he left, how much would you have to pay somebody to come in and take his spot? Uh, oftentimes, when, when you're in there at the early stages of the church plan, you're probably not making as much as you should, and sometimes your salary is not keeping up with uh, the growth of the church. Uh, if he was to leave and somebody else had to come in, would they be willing to, to be the lead pastor for what you were paying him when he left? So consider his replacement value. Um, and then um, another thing you can do is... Uh, uh, a lot of agencies have done this work for you, and it's going to be um, um, specific to your community where you live. And a lot of this information is public information. And by the way, I, I, don't take any one of these things that I give you and, and just say, okay, that's going to be a salary. Take all this and sort of average it together and find a place that you're comfortable with. But look at um, your local police chief. What does he make? Maybe that's what your lead pastor should, should be paid. What does the local fire chief get paid? What does the director of the public utility in your town make. Maybe that's what the lead pastor should make. How about the high school principal? Maybe he should make that income. And again, this, these are people who are, are in positions of authority. They manage employees. Um, uh, they make big decisions. They make budget decisions. So that, that'll kind of, and that's going to be catered to your community. So um, uh, hopefully that's going to be relevant to where you're at. A um, couple other things. Has he received job offers uh, from other churches? If so, how much are they offering to pay him? That could be um, something that needs to be factored in. How much could he make in the business world uh, for his skill set? Um, uh, maybe uh, uh, you know, working at a small company or being an entrepreneur, owning his own company. Maybe he's a, a great graphic designer and he could go out there and make 80000 a year. Maybe you should consider paying him that. Um, so look at his skill sets and what, what he could make um, out in the business world. Um, and is he working outside the church currently? In other words, if he's got a part-time job and his part-time job is actually earning him more money per hour than what his ministry job is, because we all know that your phone doesn't turn off at night, you work evenings and weekends, uh, he might be putting in twice as many hours at the church and be getting paid half as much. Um, so look and make sure that you're paying him the appropriate amount per hour compared to what's going on in the community. Here's one that a lot of people don't think about. What is the... Uh, average cost to rent a three-bedroom house 
in the town that you live in. Think of that number. Now multiply that by three. There you go. So if your average rent is $1,500 per month for a three-bedroom house, maybe it should be paid $4,500 a month. So that's another factor to throw in there. And then make sure that whatever you've done, that everything, that uh, all the compensation for the church uh, fits, still fits under that 60% mark. So that would be another uh, thing that would uh, tell you where to be. Okay? Again, if you have any questions, text to that number. Um, okay, benefits. Uh, you may be thinking, well, I, I've got a church of 150. What do you mean benefits? How can we afford benefits? Uh, we'd love to do benefits. Um, and I think where I'm going with this is it's easier to start uh, small with benefits and add money incrementally later over the years than it is to get six or seven years down the road, have more staff people, and have to make a huge philosophical change in going from no benefits to benefits. It can be very expensive. It might end up being the only way that you increase your budget that year. You might be telling, sorry, everybody, you're not getting raises. We're not adding any ministry. We're going to have to serve more people with last year's income, basically, because this year, the only thing we're doing is adding benefits for all of you, um, and you don't want to be stuck in that position. So it's going to be a much easier sell to start with benefits now at your size, even in very, very small amounts, and then just um, add a little bit to that over time. One thing I think you should have for sure is retirement. Um, if, and I don't mean, so what you're not going to do right now is, is go out and get a 403B and, you know, have a matching program and whatnot. Um, but you can open up a savings account and just put $100 a month into that savings account. Now, that's not much, but it's $100 a month. Maybe next year, it can be $200 a month and so on. Do that over time. And five years down the road, when you do open up a retirement plan, all the money that's in there goes in there and funds that plan that you know, can then go on and, and, uh, and more can be added and you could do a matching program. So start with retirement, start small, make it a savings account. Medical, very, very expensive. Maybe your pastor has eight kids. Um, you can't afford $2,000 a month and give them this great you know, low deductible 80-20 you know, uh, plan. Um, but maybe you could start with a, a preventative care plan at a local clinic. Maybe it's for cuts and bruises, maybe, maybe instead you, you, you tell them uh, all, anything that you need up to $500, the church is going to pay. Um, you're on the hook for anything beyond that. The point being, start with something, um, even if it's small, and then add to it uh, over time. Life insurance, super, super cheap. You can get them a nice policy for like 20 bucks a month. You might as well add it to the compensation package. Um, disability. You could go through AFLAC. You could do uh, any, any number of, of different things with disability. Um, you could do paid time off. In fact, you should be. Hopefully, you're, you're um, um, giving him you know, adequate time off to be with his family and even consider just a, a sabbatical accrual uh, over time. Um, and then bonuses. I think you should budget for bonuses, and I don't think you should give bonuses unless um, the church's budget ends up uh, working out at the end of the year. Um, you, don't, you don't get paid bonuses if the church is behind, um, but if he's worked hard, he, he deserves it, and uh, uh, Christmas is always a good time to do that. So I, I've, I've written a blog. It's uh, on, on uh, Brian Howard's uh, blog, brianhowardblog.com. Uh, you can go on there and click on the staffing section and look at that. It's a highly objective, massive formula for figuring out bonuses if you want to do that. So 
Okay, now we will take a 60-second break. We're going to do the same things we did before. So uh, any questions, anything that you just jotted down, check with your team. I know we're going really fast. Again, I'm just trying to give you some handles to go, okay, that was thought-provoking, or it wasn't. Um, what, what did I learn? Uh, what do you want to change? What do you want to talk about? Text your questions and uh, take 60 seconds right now real quick. Okay, we have just a, a, a couple minutes left here, um, and uh, we're going to do a little bit of Q&A at the end of this. Um, we're going to have Josh come up, uh, Pastor Josh, and, uh, and you can ask uh, either one of us questions. Maybe you have questions uh, for him for how this uh, works at Grace City Church and what he's seen over the years. Um, so two quick things, um, reporting. Uh, reporting is, is super, super important. Don't go through all this work and then, and then not go through the work of running regular reports um, to keep track of what's going on, and then communicate that. You almost cannot over-communicate. Um, there's certain things you're going to want to communicate to different people and so on. So the weekly snapshot is what you're going to do the most often. You're going to do that every week, and that's at a leadership level. Um, I also recommend that you do monthly P&L reports. Just check out, uh, did everything land where we thought it would when we budgeted? Um, and that's also going to help you uh, with your cash flow projections, which should be another report uh, that you do, um, as well as a member snapshot, which you can put any level of material in that and let that um, go out to your members. So think in concentric circles with those reports, how often you're doing them, and what the audience is for that, and make sure that you communicate, communicate, communicate. It's also really going to help um, uh, with donor cultivation um, as they, uh, their confidence rises in you as you've communicated what's going on in the church. Um, so I do have a little bit of time, so I'm, I'm going to jump into financial controls, and I don't have any slides for this, but that's fine. Um, so uh, financial controls are super, super important because uh, you don't, uh, you're not going to lead your church very well from jail. Uh, uh, the Apostle Paul did. Uh, he did a great job. But uh, there's... Uh, you, you're gonna, you want to protect yourself, uh, first and foremost, but you also want to uh, do what you can to protect against fraud, embezzlement, and whatnot. And there is nothing that is uh, airtight. Um, every system can be broken. Um, there's some very smart people out there. So the point is not to find uh, or, or to, to have a, a 101 things uh, that makes it impossible for you to get anything done um, because even that can be worked around. But just think um, a, a couple things in principle. So one, one word I like to use is firewalls. Um, and, and what I mean by that is make sure that there is not one person doing any two steps in the process of cash handling. 
this is really important. We, we have, uh, we're a mobile church, so we have two people count on Sunday, and then we have to take that money to the office so it doesn't stay at the building. We don't have a little drop thing. So we have two people count. That's the other part, by the way, is make sure there's always two people in the pre- uh, together uh, present with cash. So we have two people count on Sunday, and when those two people count, um, they don't see or touch the money ever again at any other point in the process, okay? This is very, very simple. They hand it off to the treasurer. The treasurer takes it, gets it to the office. Somebody else goes and gets the mail. They open up the mail. A lot of people send their, their, their checks in uh, through the mail. That money gets counted with two people. That money gets added to the money from Sunday, gets uh, tallied up, gets taken to the bank, the bookkeeper brings the deposit slips back, and another person compares the deposit slips to the count sheet. So no one person is doing anything. The bookkeeper's not counting on Sunday. You know, the treasurer's not, you know, so everything is, there's firewalls between everything. That protects everybody. Um, people are gonna love that because you can look if a system breaks down. When was the last place that it was working well? <laughs> so, okay, at, on Sunday, uh, two people signed off on this, so it was right then, okay? Let's get to the next step. Okay, it was right there. Okay, here's where the breakdown was. So you can narrow down the breakdown. So think firewalls. Um, and then, and that's, with, with, that's with cash handling. And with everything else in general, you just want to use common sense. Um, uh, make sure that your bookkeeper is not a check signer. Um, make sure that uh, expenses over a certain amount are reviewed and approved by your elder board or your finance committee. Um, you can see if your bank will let you put two signature lines on your checks. Um, make sure you have credit cards with appropriate limits. So if, it, if the card is stolen, uh, you're only on the hook for so much uh, before it gets shut down. Make sure you don't have any ATM privileges um, uh, on your credit cards. Um, so those are just some things that you can do um, to, um, to protect yourself and, and to put some safeguards in place. So... Um, Okay, so just in review, um, we talked about a lot, and um, let me just wrap it up um, by just doing a flyover here. So uh, how to project income by, with uh, past performance, um, making, uh, uh, making sure you get outside counsel on your budget, spreading your income projections appropriately by month, uh, making sure that your expense categories are balanced appropriately, uh, creating benchmarks for your feast and famine budgets, Saving appropriately for liquidity, opportunities, and emergencies. Using objective methods to set a framework for compensation. Uh, getting benefits in place early. Uh, developing reports and communicating often. Uh, and and uh, financial controls as well. So um, if uh, this seems overwhelming to you um, and you wish you weren't here and you didn't hear all that because now you're accountable, um, <laughs> I can... Um, I can uh, be available. I, I have, um, uh, if, if you w- would like me to coach your, your executive guy uh, back home, um, uh, maybe look at your budgets, uh, do some consulting. If there's anything that, uh, uh, to help you maybe get started so you can get on your own, um, I'm available to do that. My email address uh, is up there. You can contact me that way. Um, and then after the break, why don't we have, uh, Josh, why don't you come up um, and we'll, We'll do a little Q&A, and then we'll do some more Q&A for those who sent uh, questions in via text. And uh, and then after this, we're going to talk on uh, donor cultivation with Brian Howard uh, after the break. So you can ask any questions then as well. Check, check. Man, do you feel like you just got saved again? Oh, man. I love this stuff. And no, you can't have him back. He's mine. So there, go find your own Chris Beaton. I mean, I just... You got to know that when we come out of budget meetings, we worship Jesus and laugh and slap high fives. It's always good. 
It's just good. Because being a good steward of God's good resources feels good, right? And some of you got some things you need to repent of. You haven't been a good steward. Repent of that. Preach the gospel, yes. Steward his money well. Just as important. Just as important. I went and found Chris. He was a Fortune 500 company guy. Uh, he had just got a job offer for a, a very, very lucrative, large six-figure job out of town. And, and I, I said, would you please come work for us? He said, what's the pay? I said, <laughs> I think we paid him 30 grand his first year. He turned down a six-figure, very lucrative uh, position to come serve the church. So there are guys like this out there. You grateful for that? You grateful for that? Yep. Now, l- let me interrupt and say, don't let that um, scare you into thinking that that person doesn't exist in your church. Um, there are people, you don't need a full-time CPA at the size that you're at right now. You just need a kingly-minded person who can help complement your gifts and who loves spreadsheets um, or, or just likes them. You can start with liking um, and uh, just, just wants to um, serve the church in this way. It is a very uh, spiritual job. He's not getting up and preaching, but it, there's a very spiritual nature uh, to the numbers, and uh, it's a very important position. So, yep. And the key is finding a numbers guy who has a personality, if you ask me, because number guys can be like, Pfft. so find a guy who loves numbers and has a personality like my man right here. You like this guy? He's got a personality. He's good. Yeah, he's good looking too. <laughs> let's let's okay, get questions, to the questions, questions. Please. Good, somebody else right here. Mm-hmm. I think like six or seven financial positions you guys have in the church. Um, what I'd love to hear is some advice scaled down for a church that has no office, sure. um, has one full-time staff person, mm-hmm. um, and has about 100 people. Mm-hmm. And so trying to, and again, it's a mobile church. Right. So trying to build all of those controls in, that's almost like 30% of our church mm-hmm. on a given <laughs> Sunday. Maybe, maybe some kind of uh, practical scaled advice I would love to so the question is, uh, how, to, how to scale down the, the controls Chris talked about with a church of 100 people that's mobile and might not have uh, the resources uh, that, that a larger church would have? Uh, first, I would say that um, those people don't need to be paid at that point. Um, and and uh, your counters on Sunday can be your deacons. Um, they can serve on monthly rotations so that uh, they're serving uh, more often uh, or for longer blocks. Um, and, and, and the other thing I would say is if you don't have um, enough people to look, there, there's, people can look at stuff after it's been done as well. If, there's, if your treasurer is your bookkeeper right now um, and, and he takes the money home until he goes to the office because you, you, everybody's working from their living rooms, that's totally fine. But at some point before a week is over, those things are verified, deposit slips are verified. You will find uh, people that, who would love to serve in that way. Uh, there's, there's not a lot of pressure. Um, just say, hey, here's your job. Does that match that? If so, put your signature right there. Okay, thanks, and then you file it. So, yep. Yep. And I'll say, uh, I was a Nazi on this because I was paranoid of mishandling God's funds. So every control he mentioned, we had at 100 people. We didn't add this last year when we hit, you know, you know 7 billion. We had this at 100, and it was just all volunteer. And we had like eight or 10 deacons at 100 people, mm-hmm. and that, they just did it all. And yep. I, I don't want to touch it. I don't want a credit card over a $500 capacity. I mean, it's like, keep it away from me. I'll preach it. I'll bring it in. I don't want to, deal, I don't want to handle it. And so we had these controls in place even as, even as a small church because we, we were that radical about 
about protecting our people. Yep. It wasn't that I didn't trust our people. It was I didn't trust other people who would accuse us of mishandling it. Yep. So we want to be above reproach yep. so you couldn't even bring an accusation. And if you did, which we can't stop those from coming, the accusation would, would seem foolish after people looked at how we work it because, like, mm-hmm. dude, this, this, this can't be broken. So we had those systems, even as a small church, just yep. to scale differently. And even the people he just mentioned, only one person's paid in that whole process. Right. So yep. Another question right here. Okay, so the question is, how do you... Um, communicate or coach the other leaders when uh, the emphasis has been, we don't really want to look at the past numbers, we don't want to consider numbers in our equation for church health. Leaders in the church, like other elders? Okay, so the question is, how do you uh, um, communicate about numbers uh, to other leaders in the church when the past uh, habit has or practice has been uh, to be distant from it, to not talk about it, to not know about it? Are you talking specifically like, like who gives, how much, um, and how the numbers work? Just numbers in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Numbers don't have a whole lot of value uh, amongst the leaders. Okay, so when numbers don't have much value among the leaders. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I would say um, in general, numbers matter because they, they're tracking people and people matter. I mean, I know it sounds kind of cheesy, but, um, you know, we count people because people count. Um, so it's, it's going to be a training piece. Um, that uh, even if they don't think in numbers, they don't like the numbers, uh, they don't like to think uh, in, in that way, um, I think you just, I think you have to. I just think uh, you, you wouldn't, um, you don't make um, inappropriate decisions based on numbers alone or, or disconnected from um, other things going on in the church. But I don't think it's wise to just, um, uh, to, to be thinking, uh, I'm, 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 gonna, I'm gonna pastor people and, and, and I don't care about the numbers. I just think you're, you're, you're leaving out a really key component that um, together, um, every, all the pieces together are gonna help you make wiser decisions for the growth of the church. I mean, if you're going to, um, I mean, you know, church growth is not a, it's not a bad word. It's not a bad thing. I mean, you're, you're, you're reaching out to non-believers. People are getting saved. Like, we count baptisms. Holy cow, that's our favorite number to count. Those people wouldn't have come had we not built systems for a capacity to get them there, um, spent money on campaigns to get them there. So uh, numbers matter. Money matters. And uh, it's just a helpful uh, you know, part of the, of, the, of the whole piece. So, yeah, I would say if you have elders that don't care about numbers, get new elders. I'm not even kidding. I don't get one amen from that. <laughs> I'll go home and tell them that for you if you want. Here's the deal. Um, uh, if, if you say caring about, thinking about, dealing with, with, with money numbers isn't important, then you're just, you're just going against Jesus because he talked about it all the time. Mm-hmm. And one of the most important um, points of pastoring people is with their money. You don't really know how submitted they are to Jesus until, until you know what they're doing with their money. So we know who gives and how much they give. Every person in our church. We don't look at it very often. We hardly ever reference it, but it's there. And we tell people we know that. Here's why. There's not one reason people don't give that's not pastoral in nature that you need to be responsible for shepherding. If they don't give because they don't know they're supposed to give, that's a pastoral issue you need to address. You're failing in your leadership. If they're not giving because they don't want to give, that's a stubborn, rebellious, idolatrous issue that you need to address as a pastor. And if, they can't, if they, they're not giving because they can't give, that's a pastoral mercy need that you need to be aware of so you can serve them. Right? 
So there's no, there, there's no reason for you not to know what people are giving. And, and, and I'll just tell you, uh, uh, and, and I mean this very, very uh, pastorally, but um, oftentimes we fill our elderships with um, uh, uh, men who are gifted in, uh, as high priests who, who, who care about people but don't care about numbers. That's, that's a mistake. And so we don't put men in our eldership who, who don't have a value for numbers and, and money because it, it's, it's important. Because if we're not stewarding that well and shepherding people there, we, we, we won't be able to sustain um, a healthy church growth so we can serve more people down the road. Do we need mm-hmm. priests? Yes. Do we need prophets? Yes. Do we need kings? Yes. We need all three. But no man gets to be exclusively in, in that one office and not care about the others. Yeah. If that makes sense. I know it's a weak paradigm, and, 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 and it's, it's, not, it's not overall. But my strong kings better care about people. Mm-hmm. And my strong priests better care about numbers. And if not, then, then, then I don't think you want them in a high level of leadership. Uh, what are some recommendations or suggestions or policies for determining raises and or salaries for the executive pastor so that it's not the senior pastor giving him a raise and then the older mm-hmm. pastor, sorry, and then mm-hmm. the executive pastor giving the new pastor a raise? Mm-hmm. Financial team, outside board of advisors, what do you recommend? So the question is, uh, what do you recommend for setting salary for your executive guy or vice versa, the executive guy setting a salary for the lead pastor or benefits or raises as, as each year moves forward? Right? Yep. A uh, great resource would be the EFCA. Um, check out their um, financial policies um, for you to be a member. Um, and I think they have about seven things. And one of the things in there is establish a financial committee, uh, a compensation committee. Um, and, and you're not going to have the people in the room whose salaries are being discussed. So that's it in a, that's in a, in a nutshell. So, yep. You mentioned uh, some of your spending controls with uh, a limit on your credit card. How else do you control a, a, a church of 100 people or just over? How many people are able to spend? What kind of controls do you have in place for that? Mm-hmm. Okay, so with a church of about 100 people, what are the financial controls for who can spend how much? Um, at that size, you probably have uh, one person, maybe two, uh, in case that one person's on vacation. But you probably have about two people with a credit card. Um, and you might have one with a higher limit than the other in case you have to make a, a major purchase. And uh, we've, at times, have had to make uh, a larger purchase than what our, our credit card uh, would allow. Um, and we just go down to the bank with a check. And, and, and put that money towards the credit card so that we can go and, and use it for that big purchase. Um, so, yeah, at a church of, out of, out of a, a, a hundred, make sure that somebody's got it. It's basically the reason for the credit card is so that they're not using their own money and then going out and getting reimbursed and submitting receipts and, and, and whatnot. So it just, uh, you know, we've, we've had volunteers that honestly don't have a lot of money and they, they couldn't use their own account and then wait for us to cut them a check. So you, you, know, you could have a staff card in, in that case, say, hey, Take this card, run down, get what you need, um, submit the receipt, keep good records. It's another thing. So, yep. We have time for maybe one or, or two more questions. We want to be faithful to let you go here on time. Yep. We'll get a good 30 minute break in. So, a couple more over here. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so I think the question was, um, how, do you, how do you determine uh, cost-benefit analysis on, on, on um, uh, where to, where to uh, put uh, large uh, allocations of money for uh, an opportunity that would give you the, the most amount of return uh, and allow you to grow? Is that kind of where you're getting at? Like, how do you determine that? What grid do you work with? I'm going to defer to you. That's more of a vision and eldership. Yeah. Um, here, here's what the, the, the grid I always think, and I got this from Larry Osborne, who's very helpful, sticky teams, sticky church, godly man, good friend of mine, um, and just a walking proverb. Uh, he, he's, he said that he would, he would spend 100% of his budget on people if he could. Because mm-hmm. people build the church, people make disciples, not buildings and facilities. And so I'm always thinking people first. Um, uh, because, because at the end of the day, if I have an amazing facility, and I'm the only guy there, I'm going to burn myself out and not serve the people well. So we've always prioritized people over anything else. Um, and, and sometimes there's body care needs. You know, somebody has a, 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 a significant issue that you could take care of, but it might be the difference between you being able to hire somebody else. Those are something I think that you have to just pray through mm-hmm. with, with the men and women God's brought around you. Um, and so it, it's tough to put a formula on that. But, but in general, I prioritize people o- o- over things because... Um, what I found is we've always we've always hired. Here's the problem you're, you're facing right now. You have more needs to deal with at 150 people than you have the capacity to meet yourself, which means um, you you need to multiply yourself in leadership development and raising up other leaders. But eventually, uh, you're going to need to hire somebody else, and, and that hire um, will now triple the amount of outcome that you can produce a, a, as a ministry team. And the next hire you make will quadruple the amount of outcomes. You're adding people exponentially. So when we hired Chris, we couldn't actually afford Chris. But, but we had a significant amount of money in the bank that gave us cushions. So our reasoning was, okay, let's hire Chris, and we could pay his salary for one year, and, 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 and the result of his hire could not bring in one more dime, and we'd finish that budget year not having uh, um, had to cut anything because we just burned through the savings we put up there. And so that was a risk we felt was, was reasonable because what it did was it gave Chris actually 24 months to, to our church to start feeling the effect of him being there and generating uh, income and return. And so, of course, Chris paid for himself in, in, in 10 times that in the first six months. Um, and so uh, prioritize people over places and things and then pray through it. And, I mean, I can't tell you how many decisions we made. It's like, well, it seems right to us and the Holy Spirit. Okay, seek good counsel, pray a lot, listen to the Holy Spirit, uh, implement general principles, and let her rip. Uh, one more question in the back here. Okay, so the question is, uh, uh, two years in, a year into the, the gathering, uh, would you say quadrupled growth, you said? Uh, or you double, tripled. double, tripled, tons of people coming, overwhelmed. How many people on staff do you have? Me and an assistant. And how many people are coming? 130. Okay, and you have $200,000 in, in the bank? Right. Okay, let me tell you what's going to happen. You won't need it for a building because you'll never get there. That's what you tell the guy that gave that. Um, and so uh, you won't need the money for a building because you'll be dead <laughs> or 
or you'll have shot somebody and be in jail. <laughs> Maybe shot the guy who gave the money and said you couldn't spend it. So I, I, I think well, as, as we've thought through, you jump in here too, Chris, we thought um, w- w- um, the church isn't a storehouse, it's a clearinghouse yeah. for the resources of the gospel. And so uh, we have a savings account, but, and we're working on a building fund now. Our, our average budget is like 1.2 this year. We're, we're just buying some properties. We're just in this with you guys, too. We're just, just starting the, the building process. Um, but what I've always said is we're not a storehouse. We're a clearinghouse, which means we'll have enough savings to jump on opportunities and handle reasonable emergencies. Everything else goes to the front lines, period. Mm-hmm. And, and you're, you're, we're seven years in, 750 people, and just starting to talk about a building. The last conversation you should be having right now is saving up for a building, would be, would be my, my two cents. Grow the actual church. Stay mobile for, I mean, Rick Warren was mobile for 10 years, 6,000 people. And so um, saving money isn't unwise, but having people give money with stipulations, um, with strings attached, I, I don't know if I'd even take it. If you're not willing to trust us to make decisions that are best, the best use of this money, mm-hmm. th- th- then go give it to someone else who you trust. But don't, don't, don't earmark and say you can't touch it when we're dying on the vine here and we have needs that we need, need to be funded and you're saying it can't because you, you, want to, you want to fund a building. And so that'd be the conversation I have with that guy. And I'd say if, if you need to make hires, then you pray it up with your elders and you go ask that man for permission to use that. If that's the stipulation he's put on it, I'm, I'm guessing that's just a request he made, not a stipulation he made. If it's in the bank account, uh, I start spending a brother and get a hire in there or you're not going to need a building. And I would recommend that that hire be an executive person who's going to help you <laughs> um, and, and not, not a kid's director or so on. Um, and then ask them if, if the money they intended to go towards a facility could be used to pay higher rent at a larger mobile place, not just go towards a permanent facility that you might buy 10 years from now. Um, because you can tell them, look, we're outgrowing the space that we're at, um, so could we use some of your facility money to, to grow the church? But I, I agree with Josh that it'd be better if you just released that. So, Great question. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll do one more. We're right, we're right at our time here. We get three one-mores. <laughs> yeah, these are just somewhat, I think these are fun, so we can go all day if you want, but we'll do a, <laughs> one more right here. So the question is, how do you not put forward a bare-bones budget if the giving wasn't strong the year before, and how do you, but yet not being wise with the number that you pick and still call your people to give radically and sacrificially? Okay. I would say two things. One, um, you, want every, you want your main, your, your, your baseline budget to be conservatively aggressive, okay? And, and that's not an oxymoron. Um, and, and, and the other thing is, uh, I'd say call people to a vision and tell them they can't outgive the vision. So even if giving came in less the year before, that doesn't mean you start expecting less the next year. That's a bad path to be going down. So um, make sure every budget has a balance of, of being conservatively aggressive and um, call them to a vision and, hey, you can't outgive this. So. Yep. 
our people know if they give more, we get to do more. Yep. And so, you know, the, the faith, feast, and famine are all right there. The faith budget is what we've decided to do in faith. We call it a conservatively aggressive. It's conservative for what we think is God's going to do, but it's aggressive for where we're currently at. We think that's mm-hmm. a, a good path of faith to walk. Uh, you heard him explain the feast budget, and you heard him expa- explain, explain the famine budget. Nobody wants to live on the famine budget because it means less, less lives touched by Jesus. Everyone loves the feast vision, and they want to give towards it. And so we try to lay that out. Absolutely, yep, yep. Because yep. it's on them. I mean, we're doing we're in this together. Yep. So the, the more we can communicate, uh, the better. Yep. So you guys now, have been great. Let me yep. pray for us. We'll let you go. And you got thirty minute break, and then uh, you're gonna come back in. Brian Howard will be here. You're gonna love the stuff Brian's got to bring. So let me pray for us, and we'll go. Father, thank you for the chance to process with these things, the chance to wrestle. Lord, thank you for every person represented by the leaders of churches here who are back home working hard, earning money, giving generously, giving sacrificially, giving consistently to the work of the gospel. Would you bless them, Father? Would you, would you um, um, bring great favor to their workplace and to their business? And Lord, for those who are in our churches who are stubborn or resistant or fearful, would you free them from that, Father, through the preaching of grace, through the preaching of the gospel, that they don't give to be loved, they've been loved radically and could never outgive it in return. Would you cause a great groundswell of generosity to take place in every church represented here as we endeavor to faithfully steward the resources you've called us to oversee and put to the front line for the sake of moving your kingdom forward. Thank you that you own the cattle on a thousand hills, that it's all yours and we can rest in that. Bless these dear men and women as they go take a break to give their brain space to come back and continue processing and wrestling with Brian and Chris next hour. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Great job, everybody. We'll see you back here in a half hour. Thank you, Chris. Tell Chris thank you for his work.